Once again, always a joy to have Brother Hale start our service. Stacy probably doesn't know that he was our former pastor and played the guitar. We didn't need any other music but him. And uh, his, his hymns are wonderful. But that wasn't one of his hymns. That was just a song he sang. This morning, I want you to turn to the book of Titus. All the T's are together in the New Testament, two Timothys, first of all the Thessalonians, then the Timothys, and then Titus. Titus is just a couple pages. I want you to go to Titus, the second chapter, start with verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise thee. Let's bow our heads. Father, another wonderful portion of thy word. And we ask as we talk about it and meditate upon it this morning and turn to scriptures concerning it, that thou will teach our hearts Humble our hearts at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, the place of all blessing. Bless these here. Teach their hearts, we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. There's two words in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What are those two words that are so great? It's grace and salvation. They thrill the hearts of God's sheep. Now, not all sheep are God's sheep. I want you to turn to John 10, 26, but then after that, I'm not going to ask you to turn unless you can keep up and can do it, because we have a lot of scriptures this morning, and I'm just going to call them out, turn to them, and read them. See, I don't have them printed here. I have to turn to them too, but to get through our message this morning, I'm going to go a little bit faster. But John 10, 26, said, our Lord speaking says, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. But there are some sheep that are not the Lord's. Now those who belong to Christ are objects of grace. And the purpose of grace is to give eternal life to a sinner which is part of salvation. So our verse up there says, For grace of God that bringeth salvation. Now, we don't make distinctions of people who inhabit the earth. That's not our job to do that. The Bible clearly states that there are believers and unbelievers. There are some who will perish and some who won't perish. 
John 3.16. Nobody would have to turn there because everybody should be able to quote that. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what's the real meaning there? The real meaning there is those that don't believe are certainly going to perish. Now the same applies to a world that God loves and a world that God will not even pray for. Now in John 3.16 it says, God so loved the world. But in John 17.9, and I'll read that to you, in John 17.9 our Lord says, I pray for them I pray not for the world. If you can see that, okay, if not, but here's what it says. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now talking about people, and the Bible comparison, some are called vessels of wrath, while others are called vessels of mercy. That's Romans 9, 22 and 23. I'll read that to you. Romans 9, 22 and 23. It says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory? The first one's vessels of wrath are called fitted to destruction. The others are called vessels of mercy afore prepared unto glory. Now you know who has everything under control? That's God. Nobody has any right to say that God can't do this or can't do that or does this or does that. Our God's in total control. Now what makes the difference in a vessel of wrath and the vessel of mercy. Grace is given to some and not to others. Uh-oh. Some people don't like this. But look at Romans 9, verses 18. Same chapter. It says, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Look at verses 15 and 16 in the same chapter there. Just go up above a little bit. 15 and 16. For he saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion, and so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. This is a chapter totally ignored by the religious world probably the most neglected chapter in the whole Bible because it says God saves who he wants to save. And they're already in his mind he knows who Christ died for. Now it's grace that brings salvation. Now these are just a few thoughts to prepare you for the all men at the end of the verse. Where's that? Well, back to Titus. Get back to keep your place there in Titus. If you got a ribbon, uh, keep your ribbon in that place. In Titus 2, 2.11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 
And I'm saying now that these are just a few thoughts to prepare you for the all men at the end of this verse. Are all men believers? Are all men Christ's sheep? Are all men vessels of mercy? Does God give mercy to all men? The answer to all these questions is no. So all men does not mean everyone in the world, but all the elect from every part of the world. Look at the very first verse in this book of Titus. Look at the first verse in Titus. Paul says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Okay? It's a Bible word. It's a Bible doctrine. Uh, and then in Revelation 5, 9, describes them. Turn to Revelation 5, 9, or I will if you can't find it. You can find some of them good to show you that they come. This shows you that they come from all parts of the world. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. God's people come from all over the world. No such thing as a denomination saying, we're the only church, we're the only people. There are small groups of people like this all over the world, and they're all God's redeemed. And then, you know, where it speaks about, in our verse there in, uh, in Titus, about all men, well, let me tell you, these redeemed, also include women, okay? Now, how does the grace of God that brings salvation appear to a person? Our scripture says it's the grace of God. Let me read it to you again. I should put my ribbon there. I tell you to do it, and then I don't. All right, it says, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. How does it appear to a person? God is not held to any one particular method, but I can instance at least two of them for starters. How does the gospel or Christ appear? First of all, by preaching. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says this, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now that's one way that the grace of God in salvation appears to a sinner. And then another way is just through the scriptures themselves. 2 Timothy 3.15. Now you just got to back up. You just got to back up one page from your ribbon in Titus. 2 Timothy 3.15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says, Timothy, ever since you were a little kid, you knew the scriptures, and they were able to make you wise unto salvation. Now, what does that say about some religion that tells you you can't understand the Bible, but only our priest can understand it. They have been to the school. They have been to the seminary. They are taught of God. So if you want to know anything about the scriptures, you come to the priest. That ain't what Paul said, is it? Is that what the Bible teaches? The Bible says that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. The kids here in our assembly are able to understand the scriptures if God will open their heart and teach them. If they'll read it, they'll ask the Lord to show it to them, they will. A child should be able to understand. Now let's look at verse 12. Verse 12, Titus 2, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There is a teaching process before salvation is revealed and a teaching process after salvation is realized. John 16, 8. Is there a teaching process taught in the scriptures? I guess there is. Here's what our Lord says concerning the Holy Spirit in, verse, in John 16, 8. And when he has come, he's talking about the Comforter in the verse above, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. That's the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It's not a pleasant teaching, because the one thing a person does not want to even confront is the fact that they're a sinner. They don't want to talk about their sins. Now, they talk about the sins of others, and all these magazines in the grocery stores make their living upon the sins of others. But when God's Holy Spirit begins to deal with you, he's going to show you that you're a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. And he's also going to teach you about righteousness, that God demands a perfect righteousness from you, and you haven't got it. But he shows you where it is. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Christ righteous? It's because he kept the law perfectly. He never sinned. That's his righteousness. He earned it. Every moment of his life, he pleased the Father. He did not break the law. And one of the rules of the law says, you keep it. You keep me perfectly and you get eternal life for doing it. So the Lord Jesus Christ earned the eternal life that he gives to us by keeping the law. And to make matters kind of more unjust, he kept it perfectly so he had no punishment coming, and yet he voluntarily suffered the eternal punishment of hell, the wrath of God upon him for your sins and mine. That's why he's our substitute. He took the place of the believer. Okay. Turn to Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. I guess I'll turn there for you. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Paul prays for the Lord to give believers 
more knowledge of Christ. Here's what he says. This is his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. If God would just quicken your hearts, just give you an understanding, boy, there'd be no holding you back. You'd want to learn these scriptures. You'd spend your, all your time that you could possibly spend in learning about Christ. That was Paul's prayer for his people. But in this verse, in Titus, we're going to be taught, we have, we have teachings negative and we have teachings positive. This see, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, now that's the negative, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, there's your positive teaching. You see, God's people need to be reminded always as they travel through this world in the body of flesh. You have to be reminded constantly of what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and to ignore those things that the world desperately tries to get you involved in. The two negative things, ungodliness. It doesn't particularly mean going out into any deep sin. It just means ignoring God in your life. You can live a clean life. You can live a religious life, but you're just ignoring God in your life. Worldly lust, that's normal for everybody. They lust after position in life. They lust after possessions in life. God says, hey, that's, that's not to be your, your God. Those aren't the things. And yet those are the things that are natural to the normal human being. They work and they strive and they do everything to gain possessions. They, they love position. A man works all of his life to work himself up into a position where he is the boss. Not too many of them get there because there's a lot more workers than there are bosses. But that's the world's philosophy. Now the positive part of that was that we are to live soberly righteously and godly in this present. What's this soberly? Does that mean you don't drink? No, it's not that. It has to do with serious, important thinking. Turn to Colossians 3 and look at verses 1 through 4. It's just back a little bit, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Now, that's a safe place to be hidden. And when it means you're dead, it means you're dead to these things of the world. You're not grasping and lusting after what this world has to offer. As far as you're concerned in that world, it's crucified to you. 
That's what Paul meant when he says, I'm crucified to the world and the world's crucified to me. As far as the world's concerned, Paul was dead. They didn't care nothing about him. And Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, that world is dead. It's crucified to me. That's the teachings of the scripture. That's the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Our day is coming. The day for God's people is coming when they'll have their new bodies and they'll be with him forever. This is not a fable and not a fairy story. This book has been preserved by God for 3,000 years. The parts of the New Testament are almost 2,000 years old. The teaching here has never changed. Traditions of the world and fashion, all of that comes and goes and changes, and they say we're modern and we don't. This has never changed. Christ is the only Savior of all people from all time. And it's just as important now to know him as it ever was even when he walked here on earth. So soberly means thinking seriously. Righteously has to do with dealing with people. You treat your neighbor and those you work with squarely and righteously. You don't try to make things difficult for people because you don't like them, because they don't agree with you. You live as if they were your best friends. You treat them well. That's living righteously. It's not hard to live righteous with someone you love, is it? Man, you go overboard for them. When you love someone, you would just do anything and love it, no matter how difficult the task is, what blisters it would bring you, what pains in the back or anything. When you love somebody, you'd go all out for them. And then godly, it says you're to live godly. That means you worship right. You acknowledge God to be in everything. You thank him for everything. You know that you're terribly indebted to him for salvation. You know that hell has been made for the devil and his angels, but this is the place where all unbelievers will go. People think, you know, that's kind of far-fetched. You're trying to scare people. No, God's not scaring people by telling them about hell because that's exactly where every unbeliever will go. Whether it's your mother or your daddy or your children or your neighbors, if they quit breathing before they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, they will go to hell. No matter how nice how sweet, how kind, how educated. None of that has any bearing whatsoever. You have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your substitute redeemer. You've got to know and believe him and trust him as the one that took your place. And that's a love affair. Boy, old Peter over there says, whom we love having not seen... You never see him, you love him. Isn't that amazing? Don't work like that in the human realm. The human realm has to see before it loves. Or it has to hear before it loves. It's physical. 
It's not like that in the spiritual realm. We read about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit teaches us about him, and we fall in love with him because of what he has done for us. Not for somebody else, not for Paul, and Peter, James, and John, and Moses, or Elijah, Daniel, or anybody else. That's fine, eh? It's what he's done for you. If you can see the Lord Jesus Christ is your substitute, you're the most blessed person in the universe, along with the others that know the same thing. All right, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 6.17. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says this. This is one of the things about God's people and a, and a negative and positive part about living. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Come out. Now, you know what the world's always telling you? Come back in. Come on in. Everybody get together. Everybody believe the same thing. Be happy. No negative thoughts, especially about religion. Oh, don't ever, ever, ever make remarks about somebody else's religion. Do you know, when you read the Gospels, didn't our Lord Jesus Christ just burn that Jewish religion from one end to the other? For instance, the 23rd chapter of Matthew and the 24th chapter, scribes, hypocrites, he called them everything under the sun. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Ye whited sepulchers. Ye generation of vipers. He says, don't listen to the Pharisees. Don't take their doctrine. Hey, it was the greatest religion on the face of the earth at that time. Are we to talk about somebody else's religion? If it's harming somebody, you better talk to them about it. All organized religion, listen to me, organized religion is false. Somewhere in their doctrine, they have false teaching, or they wouldn't be organized. They can agree perfectly on things that are anti-scriptural, that's why I have nothing to do with denominations. The church in the scriptures is independent. They only depend upon God. But that's not the way denominations are, is it? Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterian, Episcopal. I'm not even talking about the cults who think they're just as good. Do you know that all the cults that deny the Lord Jesus Christ as God call themselves Christian? Boy, is that funny. Just as serious, and a lot of them work a lot harder than we do. I don't go out and ring nobody's doorbells, but they do. Boy, when they ring mine, though, they should have run off the porch in a hurry. All right, the next part of our verse says in Titus, uh, the last... Last line in that verse 12. In this present world. This world is a temporary scene to each person. Now, though mankind is almost 6,000 years old, 
each person is allotted just so many years to their life. So this is our present world. Why do I say 6,000 years? Because it was 4,000 years from Adam to Christ, and it's been almost 2,000 years since. So mankind, human beings, have not been here 6,000 years yet. How many years did they teach you in school we've been here? Well, give or take a few million. Boy, are they ever close, huh? You see, in the book of Luke, in the third chapter, it gives the genealogy of Mary. That's not Joseph's genealogy, that's Mary's. It runs from Mary back to Adam, family by family. There's a written history of mankind in the third chapter of Luke. Now, do you understand why they don't want the Bible in a school? It would destroy their curriculum, just even on that one thing. Not, not even to mention creation, okay? It is only in your lifetime that you as an individual can come to the knowledge of salvation or that's while you are in this present world. And what a hostile place this world is that you and I are born into when it concerns our salvation. Now, if you weren't to be involved in coming to Christ, the world may give you its applause. Kids that look like they've got some ability and uh, they egg them on to go to school, go to college, play ball, get to be a pro. Uh, that's, that's when the world... But now if this person says, the Lord has kind of touched my heart and I'm, I'm a lost sinner, I, I want to know Christ, hey, you're not going to get anywhere. The world's not going to give you anything but a hard time. Reason why? Well, the world hates Christ. I'm going to read it to you. It's John 15, 18. John 15, 18. Our Lord says, while, while he's preaching, he says, Now, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, chosen you to salvation, called you by grace, Therefore, the world hateth you. Okay, so they hate Christ, and they hate you, and then they also hate the Bible. And look at John 17. John 17, 14. Next page. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So you see, there's two things the world hates. They hate Christ, and they hate his word. And if you love either one, the world's going to hate you. So how does, this, how does a redeemed child of God make it through this world then? Well, let's look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for our Lord to come back. His coming back for his blood-bought people is called a blessed hope. 
It's a new world ahead for God's children in contrast to this present world. What began in eternity, that's eternal life, was purchased in time. John 10, 28. When I say John 10, you know that's the sheep chapter. What's John 10, 28? Well, our Lord says there, I give unto them eternal life. So where did that start? That started back in eternity. That just doesn't start when you start coming to church or start reading your Bible. God called you because he has loved you with an eternal love. It was purchased in time and it will transcend all ages or worlds. Salvation obtained in the first coming of Christ. He came to die and pay the sin debt of all of those that he was going to die for. Or all of those that God gave him back in eternity. The sin debt has been taken care of because it's been paid for. The world makes a terrible mistake by the word forgiveness because they think that forgiving is just verbal. They say, will you please forgive me? And person says, yeah, I'll forgive you. Forgiveness of sins doesn't work like that. Every single sin that you commit has to be paid for. Sin is not just forgiven. It's got to be paid for. And the only price of that is pure, spotless, sinless blood. And that our Lord Jesus Christ was the only one could pay that price. Salvation obtained in the first coming and redemption is to be obtained in his second coming. What do I mean redemption? I mean that when he comes again, we get our new bodies. That's when our bodies will be redeemed. Okay, I'll show it to you. It's Romans 8. Romans 8. I don't know what the verse is. Let me see. Just a second. Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Boy, if only Paul could look at the TV and see how the world is groaning and travailing today. I feel so bad for those over there in Yugoslavia. The terrible, terrible tribulation they are going through. But nonetheless, Paul says it was in bad shape then too. And verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. What's he talking about, adoption? He says, well, to wit, the redemption of our body. When the Lord comes and gives us our new bodies. You see, that's the thing, first of all, promised to God's people. There's going to be a resurrection. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They're going to get new bodies. Bodies that will never feel pain again. Bodies that will never sin again. Bodies like unto his resurrected body. Now when this resurrection takes place, there's going to be some living believers here on earth. They're going to be changed. They get the same kind of body is those that are resurrected, a body that won't sin.
Well, can you picture such a thing in your mind? You can't. I can't. I can't picture this old sinner not sinning. His mind not running off to something terribly wicked. But then it won't happen. We'll be redeemed perfectly. Adopted. This is, we're waiting for that adoption. Then with your new body, you are a bona fide member of the family of God. As it is in these bodies, we can't enter the family of God. Even though John says, now are you the sons of God? Yes, spiritually, but we're going to be really then with our new bodies. All right, salvation is purchased by blood. 1 Peter 1.18. 1 Peter 1.18. This is a marvelous scripture. I'll wait for you so you can turn to it and read it. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold... Oh, oh, can, you, can you imagine this? He's calling everything possible corruptible. And then the best that we have, silver and gold, is what he mentions. Corruptible. Because people can buy their way in this world, no matter what. Boy, you watch this presidential thing about this terrible happenings in Arkansas when the SNL closed and the Clintons made millions on it. They're looking into that thing. But they're going to try to cover it. They're going to try to whitewash it with silver and gold. Yeah, you got the green stuff. You get through. But that's not how salvation comes. He says, but from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. The father says, yeah, you got enough money. We'll get you through. But by with the precious blood of Christ, the only payment for sin, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, you know what that means? Before the world was ever created, this was God's plan, that the Lord Jesus Christ would shed his blood for those that the Father had given him who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. That's the price. I'm not going to be able to finish this message this morning. I'll have to leave you with that. Let me read you our scripture one more time here in Titus. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, that should be our daily desire, looking for Christ to come. He's coming one of these days. I know they may have been looking for him for 2,000 years, but nobody's been as close as we have. Nobody's been as close as today. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our great God. He's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of men. That's why there's preaching. That's why there's a Bible to tell you about the great salvation 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he invites anybody to come. Anybody that hears the word or reads the word and, uh, and knows that they need him, all they've got to do is come to him. Ask him for mercy. Now, you don't accept him. No. See, you're not the one in position to accept anything. Christ has to accept you. You beg, you ask, you cry, and the Lord Jesus Christ will answer you. He'll give you mercy. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this simple gospel message this morning. Bless the hearts of these here and those that will hear by tape. Thank you for our newcomer here today. Bless her heart, her children, her home. Care for her, watch over her, same as we ask for the rest of our people. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.